Well, a happy Friday, everybody, and welcome into This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you, coming at you on another different day this week, as, of course, we were with you from Vegas last weekend, and now we're back in St. Louis. And i got to say, Joe, I'm kind of disappointed we're back in St. Louis. I know, it's so different Vegas here. was so much... Uh, so much more of an experience for me. It's all the lights, you know, yeah. that first day especially. You know, every time you go on vacation for the first day, it's like, bam, like it hits you so hard. Right. And you think life can never be any better. We were in Animal Kingdom with my kids and my wife a few years back. And we went to, we stayed at uh, the, the Animal Resort down there. at oh, Animal like the Kingdom. safari thing where they're walking exactly. around. Exactly. So we're in our rooms. We open up the back sheets, or uh, the, the drapes. And there's like a gi- freaking giraffe, like <laughs> right there. There's an elephant. There's like cheetah, not cheetah. But you know, I mean, you know what I mean. There's, there's animals running around, and I remember the first day we were like, "Oh my God, look at all these animals in safari!" The kids were in awe. I was in awe, you know. But day, day two, you open the drapes and it's like, "Oh, honey, there, there they are. The giraffes are back." <laughs> like, how how spoiled are right. we as humans? Because you know, you just you just settle into the norm so right. quickly. In Vegas, was the same for me. That day first three, night, I was like, "Whoa!" Day then, three, you're like. God, I'm sick of these giraffes. I know. Could someone turn off those freaking Aria lights? I can't sleep. You know what I mean? But is it a good or a bad thing that Vegas wasn't a thing when you were a player? You know what? I, you know, for me personally, you're, I, not, you're not a party type. I'm not. A, I mean, every now and then, you know, I like to go out and have a, have a good time and kick it. You know, if we go to a Western bar, if we're in a special city, we only go to once a year, for example. You know, I mean, I'll have a good time and, and with a good crowd. I, I love it. But overall, I'm not. I was never a player that went out too frequently. Uh, but it's uh, it's becoming a very quickly the, the the top spot for players to not only visit but play there. I mean, that we went to the practice facility, Alex, as you yeah. you came out with us. I mean, that's where. The players live. It's it's kind of a mix of Arizona and Colorado. We you do have the mountains, but it's not cold like Colorado. But it's not just dusty like Arizona. It doesn't get 120 in the summer. Uh, fantastic place to play, and the fan support there was was remarkable. To see. I know it was such a cool crowd in Vegas, and uh, a road trip that may not have been successful, but of course they come home and they start off that success. We got a lot to get into in these next couple of hours. We'll talk with Joe Micheletti, of course, of the New York Rangers broadcast team, the former St. Louis Blue, the former St. Louis Blues broadcaster. Plenty of stuff to dive into around the National Hockey League, but Joe, as we start things off, we got to look at this past week, and you know, you wrap up that road trip in in a really ugly loss to the Vegas Golden Knights, where you are up three, you fall apart, and you give back four unanswered goals. You do tie it and get to overtime, but I think the bigger factor from that road trip was the fact that you took on three tough teams, it was the tail end of your 12 straight against the Western Conference, and you just really struggled. Yeah, you know, it it was a tough road trip. You know, I know a lot of fans out there, and a lot of people were thinking, you know, what's going on with the Blues? Is this a slump? Is this where we're going to start to see this Stanley Cup hangover come around? And, and I kept looking at that road trip even before it started, Alex, and I, I thought, man, these are some good teams on the road. I mean, you're playing Vegas that was ahead of the Pacific at the time. We had uh, Arizona was the first game of that trip, but they were second in the Pacific at the time. And then you had Colorado, who was nipping our heels in the Central. I mean, so all playoff teams Right now, if, you, if playoffs were starting now, they all be playoff premier teams. And the Blues went out on the road and faced all these teams. And, and teams that uh, are well are on top of their divisions and, and near the top of the conference are chomping the bit. And they are always have a target on the back with the St. Louis Blues. So, uh, you know, a road trip that did fall apart a little bit. But there were some great things, I think, still to take from that road trip. I think a little adversity, especially this time of the year, is a really healthy thing. We obviously saw that last year with the adversity the Blues dealt with, a severe adversity the Blues dealt with, and how this team responded 
underneath that uh, to come home uh, the longest homestand now for the St. Louis Blues five games or two games in and now they're two and zero and they continue their dominance at home. Uh, but you look back over that that three game skid on the road and the Blues have rebounded very well. They've rebounded well before early December they lost to Buffalo, lost to Toronto, lost to Pittsburgh, and everyone started thinking all oh, the wheels starting to come off and they put together an eight game run right there and here they are starting another one as well. Well, we saw a losing streak this season that was four games that that involved a lot of overtime. We saw three game losing streak all in regulation and then now you've seen another three game losing streak two in regulation one in overtime but the part that always gets me joe and we talked about this on the post game show tuesday night this team avoids going on long losing streaks. And I know you may hear three games, and well, that's kind of a long losing streak. Well, in hockey terms, I don't think you get to a long losing streak until you hit five. I think that's when things start to feel like, okay, we really need to get this right. But even a three-game losing streak, talking to a couple of the guys, Oscar Sundquist, Braden Shen, when they got home, it felt like they lost one game, and it yeah. was a one-goal loss. Right. Well, you know, I think that, uh, I always go back to the conversation I had with Ryan O'Reilly's dad last year in November. I, I met Brian O'Reilly, his dad, and for the first time, and, and Ryan at the time was the only bright spot last November for the St. Louis Blues team. They were off on a, a, an atrocious start to the year. Mike Yo's job was kind of lingering. I remember sitting in the stands with Brian O'Reilly and, and just talking about his son, you know, growing up and, you know, his personality traits and his disposition growing up, what kind of kid he was. And, and then we, talk, we got into the hockey a little bit. I said, you know, Ryan's been for better or for worse, the most consistent player on this team. What do you attribute it to? And, you know, he made a comment to me that it is so true. He goes, you know, players in this league, everyone's going to go through a little bit of a dip. Everyone goes through slumps. Uh, the key to consistency, the key to becoming an elite player in any league is really minimizing those valleys. So when you do drop down, how quickly do you get back to the top? Because some players let it go out of control, and those games turn into five, six, seven, two months. Uh, God forbid. I mean, look what's going on with Johnny Goudreau. Right. In Calgary uh, for, for the start of the season, he really just could not pull out of it. But Ryan O'Reilly, to me, is a player that when he does have a little bit of a dip, he knows what he needs to do, what his body needs, what his mind needs to flip it around and get back to the top again. And you can look at the same way for the St. Louis Blues. I think they get down, they get in these little valleys, which are common. They're going to happen in the National Hockey League. You're not going to win 82 games straight. So when they do make these dips, this coach, these players, they have the character and they understand what it's going to take now to pull back out of that valley to get back to where they need to do and get back to winning hockey. I mean, you hear it with uh, dieting and people and trying to lose weight. You know, the common term is uh, get out of the hole, climb yourself out of the hole because, mm -hmm. you know, you go through two weeks of great. Uh, you eat well, you exercise, and then you have one bad day, and then you wake up the next day, and your mind starts telling you, well, I had one bad day yesterday, might as well have another bad day, and then you have another bad day, and you kind of continue to slip. Right. And, and the term is uh, climb yourself out of the hole, and that's how it is for this Blues team. They know when to climb themselves out of the hole. They know when they need uh, what their bodies need, what the team needs, Craig Berube, what he knows he needs. And this team just continues to find ways to uh, go through those little dips and, and pull themselves back out of where they need to be. Well, and this team found the way to, to pull themselves out of a hole, Joey. We saw last year this team struggle when they played at home. And it was an oddity because it felt like every time a team's at home, you feel like they have that advantage. And Craig Berube said it yesterday before, after the morning skate that, you know, we focused the coaching staff when we took over last year to make home ice a difficult place to play. That's not an easy thing to do in a short span. But as you're talking about climbing out of a hole, this Blues team climbed out of a hole majorly in terms of winning games at home because they're the best team in the National Hockey League, or at least the best team in the Western Conference, when it comes to home ice. And now, 
I think they've truly turned this into a tough place to play again. It is. And, you know, that was the one goal. You know, Alex, I remember we were sitting here in the station in August, and I think we were doing that the show with Curbs, you yeah. and myself, and we said, uh, you know, what expectation, what would you like to see different this year? What would you like to see the Blues establish this year? I think the question was, and and uh, one of us brought up the fact that you know we would like to see home ice uh, being taken care of. We would like to see home ice be a, a difficult place to play here, as it was two, three years ago. I think I brought up the days of uh, David Backus and Barrett Jackman. I mean, you, you came to this building, you know it was just heavy hockey, you know it was going to be tight. If you were going to win, it was going to be a one nothing 2-1 kind of game maybe a shootout but you weren't going to come in here and do what you did to the Blues last year in the fall October November December and this is something the Blues really took uh, great pride in this year and they're playing some absolutely terrific hockey in St. Louis uh, they're back checking uh, the defensive responsibilities from the forwards. Their big D are stepping up. They're getting the save when they need to. Teams are going in. Jack Eichel came to the building last night. Uh, you know it's not a point night, although he gets a goal, but everyone else just struggles. I mean, you see the back pressure there from Jordan Cairo. He breaks up the Connor Sheary play. You see McKean's and McEachern in the first period come burning down. He broke up a play right there from Johansson. I mean, players just don't have a lot of room, and that is just becoming the common theme for these players who are coming into this building. No room. Uh, just stifling hockey. It leaves you just uh, in, in desperation on the bench. You don't even know where to go. And it's just because the Blues have the characteristic trait of uh, having 20 guys who have committed themselves to defensive hockey, which is a very difficult thing to do. And I said it last night on the broadcast, every GM's looking at the St. Louis Blues they see that they're defensive first. They see that they have big bodies and they box out from the inside out in the defensive zone. They see that they have forwards high and they're committed to back checking and tracking to the neutral zone. They see all these things and this is why they're so successful. But for a GM to look at what is happening here and to implement it in their organization is not easy because it takes a, a, a lot of characteristic traits of personal um, coaches, players, and, and guys who are buying into a team system. And, and how do you put that down on paper? Where are the analytics for that? There's just no analytics for right. that. So Doug Armstrong and Craig Berube have just found a great niche and a great group of guys who have completely bought in to that system. And when they're playing together, they're playing for each other, and they're playing defensive first hockey, you see the benefits and how it translates to offense. I'm curious if you start to see the change of time once again, Joe, and we'll break after this because I want to talk about Robert Thomas. But for a while there, it was the big body power forward banging style that wins you the Stanley Cup, the LA Kings. Then you start to see the transition into a little bit more of a speed factor in the NHL to win Stanley Cups. I wonder if the NHL starts to adapt to what the Blues are doing, realizing that, look, they win a Stanley Cup, they go out and they do it again for another season. This might be the strategy to winning. Absolutely. Well, I mean, you look at how the trend over the last five, six years has been, you know, go after these uh, small, fast, uh, skillful forwards. Uh, the Johnny Goudreau's, the Austin and Matthews, Mitch Marners, the Barzells of the world. And and yes, those are great players, but we're starting to see that you're going to need to pay these guys $10 million and right. how that can affect your team uh, from a standpoint of salary cap issues and, and being able to keep a lot of players. Uh, so maybe instead of uh, the individuals and grabbing those guys, maybe do you find something else? Where where are the analytics for a Tyler Bozak or an Alexander Steen? Guys who are putting up decent numbers this year, especially for a Tyler Bozak, uh, but Braden Shen's of the world. Hard, physical, two-way centerman that are committed to playing a team style of hockey. I mean, to me, that's a very difficult thing to find because you just 
you cannot put that into numbers. But that is what uh, the Blues have in front of them right here. And a uh, big credit to Doug Armstrong. I mean, he he saw this. He, uh, a part of him uh, knew going out and getting Ryan O'Reilly, although maybe not a very popular decision amongst a lot of GMs in the league, but Doug Armstrong was gung-ho about it. Uh, going back from uh, the, the junior to the, the Worlds there, he knew that he wanted Ryan O'Reilly even before that season had ended, and he stuck with it till July 1, and he got him because of the, the fabric of what this guy represents as a hockey player as far as both ends of the ice, 200 feet. Uh, he works his tail off, and he really just does not give up on pucks. And you can see how his character in the locker room on the ice has, is just infectious for all the young guys and old guys alike. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. It's This Week in Hockey. When we come back, Robert Thomas quickly becoming a number one center for the St. Louis Blues. Heck, might be becoming that way in the NHL. We'll talk about that next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. Back in on this weekend, hockey, Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you as that uh, highlight there was last night. Robert Thomas making highlight reel play after highlight reel play. And Joe, I think it's safe to say we're getting to the point now where Robert Thomas is becoming a number one center for the St. Louis Blues. Oh, baby. I mean, honestly, it's just filthy. It's insane. You know, through the middle, uh, Alex, he's just been, he's been just so hard to deal with. You know, his speed is so evident. You know, we talked to him on the post game last night and he just seems to be so confident in that middle position right there gathering speed through the middle of the ice there and and just and just going north I mean this is where he's comfortable this is his comfort zone playing in the middle you know he likes coming up the ice and looking left and looking right and seeing bodies and having options you know when you play on the wing you're pinched off I know it sounds easy but you're pinched off by a wall there's a wall there you can't go anywhere right that that limits a player. That limits his creativity. So he's a player. We see him in the offensive zone, uh, through the neutral zone. He's looking left. He's looking right. He's making passes. That we're, we're watching from bird's eye view. They're like, how did he see that? Like we see that because we have a great vantage point. But how does in the mix? How do you with all the bodies crossing and the loud noises and how fast this game is? How do you see players like that? Mm-hmm. But he just has this playmaking ability. You can see why he's been a first rounder for the Blues. I love how the Blues have developed him. You can't send him down. You can't really send him anywhere. Last Last year, so you're stuck with them. You, you tell them you got to figure it out. We have to figure this thing out. Uh, the mentorship. Let's talk about that. I mean, Tyler Bozak right. has mentored this kid uh, from last year on. We always hear about Craig Berube, you know, doing the pairs. He loves the pairs on the offensive side of things. The so Ryan O'Reilly, David Prons, uh, Braden Shen, Jaden Schwartz. Right. Those are the pair. Oscar Sundquist, and Ivan Barbashev. Ivan Barbashev, right. exactly right. And it's been Tyler Bozak and in, in, uh, Robert Thomas. And these two have found such a good groove there. And I love Robert through the middle. I think his speed is so much more evident. And uh, he can just play the 200-foot game, which he feels most comfortable. I think he's got the conditioning. He's got the young legs to do it at this point in his career. And you know what? I love Tyler Bozak on the wing. Right. You know, Tyler Bozak, for the better or for worse, he's towards the end of his career. Maybe he's slowing down a little bit. They still use him on faceoffs, which is great. But you know, from a from a conditioning standpoint and endurance standpoint, you know, I like Tyler Bozak on the wing better. He can conserve his energy a little bit more than when it's time to go. Bam, he's gone. With Robert Thomas in this growth period, would this be happening if Craig Berube wasn't the head coach? Because. At the beginning of the year last year with Robert Thomas, you know, he was on the wing, he was playing, but he was kind of back and forth. You really weren't seeing what you were hoping to see from him. And look, not, no disrespect to the, the prospects before him, but Atage Thompson, some of these guys that were highly touted really just didn't get that shot. They didn't see it from him. Was 
it, all of it, some of it, or none of it because of the head coach? I think a lot of it is. I mean, a lot of it's got to be the message, Alex. I mean, you look at uh, Craig Bruby, his, his big thing for forwards, when you have a Jordan Cairo come up, or Mackenzie McKechnie when he came up last year, or Sammy Blay when he made the team out of camp last year, for young players like Robert Thomas, Craig Berube's message to them, the hardest thing to get through them is hang on to the puck. Mm-hmm. When you're when you're in the minors, you're in juniors, you hang on to the puck plenty because you're confident with it. You're the go-to guy. I mean, Robert Thomas was the captain on the OHL. He's on part of World Junior Championship teams. He's the guy, so he has the confidence to hang on the puck. You come to the NHL and you want to rush everything. You kind of get nervous. As a young player, you're kind of in this league and, and you don't want to hang on to it because you don't want to turn the puck over. So you think if I just get rid of it, uh, that's the mindset. You get rid of it, and then you're okay because it's off you right now. But Craig Berube has instilled in Robert uh, the ability to hang on to the puck. Just don't give it up. Instead of making that pass you think's there in the middle, if you're not 100% sure, hang on to it, circle around, and then wait for the better play because eventually... If you hang on to the puck enough, that's the investment where you're going to break down the defense. The defense will eventually get tired from you hanging on to it, and then Tyler Bozak's hanging on to it, and then you give it to Alexander Steen across the net, and he hangs on to it. You're wearing the, your opponent down, so then when you get that puck back in about 10 seconds, and you're on the wall almost nearly the same spot, then you pick your head up, then maybe there's a bigger hole in the middle. Maybe instead of that that, that window being a two-foot pass, maybe it's a four-foot pass. Maybe that's more of a direct uh, beeline shot to Tyler Bozak on the back door. And I mean, look at the goals last night from behind the net. Tyler Bozak from behind the net. He hits Alexander Steen. I mean, those are all plays where you're hanging on to the puck. The defense is worn down. They're looking in front. They don't know what's going on. They got three eyes uh, or three bodies, six eyes on Robert Thomas behind the net. And that's where holes um, ended up finding Alexander Steen and Tyler Bozak because of that wearing down mentality. It's that investment that you don't see initial results early, but if you stick with it, much like the hitting the physicality last year in the playoffs, you don't see it maybe in game one, but by game three and game four, that's when it really becomes exposed, and this is something Robert Thomas has done a terrific job of. Well, and look, you, you can't just become a number one center, right, Joe? I mean, like that takes time, it takes uh, it yeah. takes experience in the NHL. You have to learn from a lot of different mistakes, and I, I'm sure there's a lot of things that Robert Thomas still needs to learn, but when you watch him on the ice and what he does with those plays and with his ability to see the ice and make plays out of nothing, it really makes you believe that in a couple of years you're looking at a guy who could be playing Ryan O'Reilly minutes or Braden Shen minutes, logging you 22, 23 minutes of ice time. Maybe that's a little too much for a forward, but what I'm saying is he's going to be out there on the big power plays. He's going to be out there on the penalty kills. Late in games when you're down by a goal, this is the guy that they're going to be relying on, and this is why it was such a hard decision for uh, Doug Armstrong. I guess I shouldn't say hard decision, but this is why he didn't trade away number 18, yeah. because they knew what they had. Big time. I mean, you look. You could look at Robert Thomas. I think I look at Robert Thomas now like I look at Jordan Bennington. Everyone is so uh, fixed on Jordan Bennington because he's a young goaltender. We are, he's, our, he's our guy. Right. We got him locked up on our contract. We're probably going to lock him up on another contract. He's the real deal. It wasn't a, uh, a fake year last right. year. I mean, this, this, this goalie is legit, and he's going to be our go-to guy for a long time. It's a good feeling for Blues fans. I think you should feel the exact same way for Robert Thomas. I mean, a strong kid through the middle. I mean, he's not even 21 years old. He can't legally have, have yeah. a beer yet. <laughs> he's in Vegas, and he can't legally go up to a blackjack table in Vegas. I know. I mean, it's crazy. But yet he's dominating the NHL. Exactly. And, and to 
me, that's what's so exciting as a Blues fan because you're going to have this kid locked up for a long time, and and he's being brought up the right way. He's like little Weeblo from Jungle Book. You know, they're bringing him up the right way. God, you know what, I mean? what a reference. <laughs> See, this is why we have a hockey show together. <laughs> Kika Chuck's still living in Kika Chuck's house. Yeah. He has Alexander Steen. He has Tyler Bozak. He has the Ryan O'Reilly's. I mean, these are like, these are veteran dads. The in the David league. Perron. I mean, those David. three are on the ice every single practice. O'Reilly, Perron, and, and Thomas. It's it's amazing. And one day when when we look back at Robert Thomas's career in 10, 15 years, and and he's this elite superstar that we know he can be. He will he will talk about his first couple of years in the league. He will say, I remember when I broke in the league with Alexander Steen. I mean, he was such a mentor to me. Or Ryan O'Reilly's work habits, or even just living in Keith Kachuk's house right. and, and learning from Keith and the and the right ways. I mean, because Keith did it the right way. Uh, learning the right ways to handle the league, the right ways to tip trainers, the right ways of when to show up to the rink, the right ways to take care of myself on on game nights or or, or pre games. So, my point is that we are we are very lucky to have Robert Thomas. We are very lucky that Craig Berube and this veteran team has groomed him the way he is. We are starting to see the investment pay off for what uh, a little bit of a struggle there in his first year, but now we are starting to see an elite centerman at the age of 20 really bust out into the league. It gives you flexibility. Mm-hmm. I know Tyler Bozak, Alexander Steen, they have one more year on their deal after this year, uh, but for a guy like Tyler Bozak who came in to be the third line center. Maybe after a year after Tyler Bozak's um, contract's up, maybe if he continues his dominance, I mean he's got he's got ten goals on the year right, right now. I mean he he's on pace for almost for twenty goals, which let's, is crazy. Let's say he does this next year, but you have Robert Thomas in that third line slot. Well, that's okay because you have the flexibility now to move maybe Tyler Bozak to the wing, and you mm-hmm. can keep Tyler Bozak for another year or two or three years because he can play the wing, but uh, strength through the middle. General managers, coaches, they build teams around the middle of the ice. Ryan O'Reilly, Braden Shen, and to me right now, Robert Thomas. Uh, don't forget, I mean, we're not forgetting about right. Ivan Barbashev here. Or Oscar Sundquist, who can play the center. <laughs> Let's just randomly throw out that, who's been such a dominant uh, line as well. Strength of the middle, and Robert Thomas is um, hes such a core guy right now for this group. He's just bringing guys in. Well, since we're talking Thomas, I want to talk about the two other young rookies, or Wookiees, as you like to call them Wookies. last night. Did you like that? It was a great pun. My wife actually helped me with that. I don't watch Did Star you? Wars. I, I, You're I, learning, I, which... I, you're further than me. I tried to watch Star Wars. My wife, she like your wife. She's obsessed with it. Yeah. She's like, you need to watch it. I go, honey, it's Star Wars night. I need I need a couple things to throw out on the broadcast. She's like, okay, well, you could say Wookiee for rookie. I'm like, oh, that's a good one. And she's like, how about instead of the toy Yoda starting out, say the Yoda. I'm like, okay, this is God, great. She's this is great. so good. Yeah, Curb's looking at me like, you know a lot. I'm like, honestly, it was all my wife. I'm like, sorry, was, go ahead. The rookies. No, I was just going to say the rookies, the two guys right now, Jordan Cairo and Nico Mikola. Uh, Mikola, I think, had another really solid game for the Blues. He, I mean, he, he looks like a guy that you can depend on on the blue line, which is all you really ask for somebody as you continue to grow your defensive depth. But Jordan Cairo, look, the speed's there, the talent's there. The offsides have struck him the last two games where he's had a goal in both of them and they've been called back because mm-hmm. he's been offsides. What's that learning experience like, Joe, for a young player on a line with two veterans who that's happened to in consecutive games? Well, I think you just you you, you lean on them. You you want to you want to be what they are. I mean, they're older guys, so you automatically respect them. Um, for a player like Jordan Cairo, he's looking at Braden Shen as the Braden Shen that opened up the scoring last year in the Stanley Cup Final in Game 7 in Boston. I mean, that that comes with a, a level of respect that Jordan Cairo has. He's looking across the other way at Jaden Schwartz, who uh, could have been the Conn Smythe winner right. for the St. Louis Blues in their championship season last year. I mean, these are 
big names that have been dominant on the biggest stage in the world. And now he's coming in and now he's given the responsibility to continue their dominance and it's his responsibility to do that. So how do you how do you go about doing that? You you look at them and you want to mimic them. You want to be there for them. You want to find out what they need out of you. Uh, Braden Shen, Jane Swartz, I guarantee you they have conversations with Jordan Cairo on a daily basis about this is how we need you to play. Mm-hmm. If you play this way, I can play that way. If you go to this area, you'll find me in this area and that could really start everything. So you just become a sponge. Jordan Cairo, Robert Thomas, Nico Mikula right now, Robert Bortuzzo. You just you want to try to gather as much information as you can off the ice. Uh, kind of get some intel about the opponents you're going to be facing. Make sure you have the communication down from Nico Mikula, for example. Right. The goalie to D exchanges. Is it an over? Is it a reverse? Making sure we're on the same page. And and, and so being a sponge and kind of grabbing these guys and, and learning how they play the game and, and mimicking that is really the biggest thing for these these forwards. And, and when they do that, they will see that maybe sometimes that their individual game need to take a back seat at times. But if they do according to their line or according to their partner, they will see that maybe the team success will become their success, which will get them into more games. I mean, look at Nico Mika last night, plus three. Right. He got an assist. Uh, you know, he, he didn't play outside of himself. He played within the team, and he had a very successful night. And I expect to see him here uh, tomorrow night as well. It's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Make sure you keep it locked to our social media account. I'm Ferrario 101 ESPN. He is Joey Broadcaster. It's This Week in Hockey here on a Friday night. We'll come back with the great Joe Micheletti, Rangers broadcaster, former Blue, former Blues broadcaster, as we'll preview Saturday's game next on 101 ESPN. Well, welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you as we continue here on a Friday night before the Blues and Rangers drop the puck tomorrow night. It'll be an Enterprise Center, a 7 o'clock puck drop, a 6 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community, 6.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate. And of course, when the Blues take on the Rangers, it's always a great opportunity for us to catch up with an old friend, the former St. Louis Blue, the former St. Louis Blues broadcaster, now a broadcaster for the New York Rangers. He is Joe Micheletti. Joe, it's great to talk up and catch with you, buddy. How are you tonight? Uh, Alex, uh, Joey, just great. Thank you. Always great to be with you guys as well. Well, uh, Joe, I know you're going to be coming back to St. Louis. I would imagine it's one of your favorite cities to go back to, not only for your personal history, but uh, you still have family back in St. Louis. Am I correct? Adam, your son. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I do. I, I, you know, I, I look at these trips and I just think there's never enough, there's never enough time. My son, uh, our son, uh, uh, Adam, lives there with his wife, Rachel, and they've got a little two-year-old daughter, so I'll be over at their place, uh, you know, I'll be uh, having dinner with them and and so it's it's uh, it's always great to to get back, and we still have so many friends. And my wife, of course, is from St. Louis, Kathy. So we have a lot of a lot of friends and family back there. And uh, you always try and juggle the amount of time because, as you know, Joey, once we once we get going, right, there's just not much time. We, you know, we come in the night the night before generally and play the game and then <clears throat> excuse me and then leave which we'll uh, do tomorrow night after the game well it's gonna be great to see you tomorrow night as the rangers take on the blues and i know joe you're coming back if i if i uh, my memory serves me correctly you're coming back now for the all-star game at the end of january you're gonna be partnering up with my partner you're kind of taking my spot don't don't worry about it. I'm, not, I'm not offended by it and chris kerber you guys are doing the call on the nhl all-star game I appreciate you letting me use your chair, which, <laughs> hey, please, which is please, going to be difficult it. to fill. <laughs> take can, it, no uh, problem at all. You're, you're off to a great start of your career. So, uh, but that I'm I, again, I'm, I'm really looking forward to that, uh, and especially working with Chris too, because 
I've admired his work for so long and, and everything uh, that he does and that you guys do and the way you bring the game to uh, to the fans. So uh, Chris has been a, a favorite of mine, not not just as a broadcaster, but as a person for for many years, as long as he's been there. So uh, so I'm looking, I'm really looking forward to that. We're going to try and get in a little bit early. I've got a game on that uh, Tuesday night, so we're going to try and get in Wednesday and again, see some family and friends if we can. But that, you know, it, it's, it's, uh, it's really a, it's a special um, it's a it's a special All Star game for St. Louis coming off of what they did a year ago and I the timing just could not have been any better uh, than the way this has all worked out so I expect the festivities to be at a at a real high and uh, and I'm I'm looking forward to it it'll be fun you know Joe uh, that's where I was going to go next with this of course the Blues won in the Stanley Cup last year and I know you sat down with Joe Vitale before he started broadcasting to kind of talk with him about what goes into the broadcasting aspect of a career and I just got to ask uh, how 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 unfair is this Joe Vitale steps into the broadcast booth and then in the first year he wins a Stanley Cup as the color analyst uh, that's not unfair at all I, I think it's uh, I, I think it's fabulous and you know what He's got a chance to repeat, and if you do repeat, Joey, then retire <laughs> and then get on the. Re- but but this is uh, no. I mean, it just it couldn't have worked out any better. I'm so happy for you, Joey, because you you put in so much time and effort to you know to uh, to look at this uh, as a new as, as a new profession and a new challenge, and that's what I think. And Joey, you and I talked. That's what I think. The athletes that that make it and become good at something else have to forget about what they did use that in the right ways and, and then learn a new profession. And so, uh, so Joey's done that and he's off and running. And, and, uh, I think again, I, I say that kind of jokingly, but I think that, uh, he does have a chance to repeat along with the team with, uh, with uh, the way things are going. So it's going to be, it's going to be really interesting this last half of the season. Well, and with all those years, Joe, of you playing in St. Louis and then being a broadcaster with Dan Kelly and Ken Wilson, uh, what did that mean to you when you saw this Blues team win a Stanley Cup and, and looking at them now, a team that looks like, as you just said, could win it again? You know, when you're when you're just starting off like I was uh, and, you know, and being with Dan, I mean, I we tend to think that, you know, this will happen, this will happen, this will happen. And then when it, you know, when you understand how difficult it is to win, and especially I think even more so nowadays uh, because the league is so so even, uh, it, it's, you really, when you do win it, you better embrace it and you better celebrate it for what it's worth because it's so difficult to do it again. And, uh, and I look back and I, I thought of Dan a lot <clears throat> and I thought of John Kelly a lot and, you know, I think of what Curbs did for uh, for John, allowing him to, you know, call one of those games, uh, you know, during the final. I think it was just, you know, so special. And I think back to Dan, and I, and I remember doing, uh, I remember doing some playoff games with Dan when when the we did a we did a series when the Rangers won the first series, and Dan had a tear in his eye because they made it to the next round, and that's how important it was to Dan and how he felt about the team and the city and. And the Blues being just a you know just a, a huge part of who he was, and for him not to be able to to be there to see it and experience it was made me sad from that standpoint. And Ken Wilson, the same thing. Ken had a tremendous love for the team and was a, was such a great broadcaster there for all those years. So I know it was you know meant uh, something special for Ken too. So, uh, but you know Dan was the one I really thought about at the time. That it's too bad he left us so soon. 
Joe calling these games now for the Rangers as we switch gears to the looking forward to the Blues and Rangers tomorrow night. Uh, Artemi Panarin comes in here from Columbus. Are you surprised by how uh, quickly he's gotten adjusted and how dominant he's been for the Rangers early on? Yeah, Joey. To be t- totally honest with you, I mean, I you know when you when you see players and watch players more from a distance where you and I with our own teams get to go to practice every day and we get to know them more on a personal basis and really know the um, <clears throat> you know how good these players are and the type of people that they are I, it, so we knew we all knew Panarin was a was a really good player and a top player but to see him on a daily basis and what he does and how he works and this this guy has an infectious personality He's smiling all the time, and maybe like Henrik Lundqvist said, why wouldn't he be? He just signed that contract and paying him <laughs> 11.6 a year. Why wouldn't he smile? But there's more to it than that. You know that, Joey. Yeah, that, right. You know the ups and the ups and downs of playing and the injuries, and you know whether your team's winning or not. All those things affect your personality and affect your your mood. And so, but with our with our Temi, he has been he has been so fabulous to be around, and he still needs or uses an interpreter. But he's a player you can sit down and actually have a conversation with in English, and uh, and he's just a, he's just a wonderful guy and a great personality. And he really grew up, you know, it was really tough for him. His gra- his grandparents, you know, basically raised him, and so this is a kid that came from nowhere with, without anything, and and now appreciates everything he's gotten and hasn't changed him. And and I, I'm not sure he, there's uh, right now a better player in the league than he is. I, I mean, I truly believe that. He he is uh, every game something special happens. I mean, it just – I said it on the air to Sam Rosen last night. I said, I said, Sam, how many games have we not, you know, have we not just spoken great things about this guy because what he does? I mean, there's only been a, a few, a few, a handful of games. And so you're going to, unless, you know, unless I'm totally wrong, the people in St. Louis are going to get a chance to see just a fabulous player tomorrow night. Well, he is fabulous. I know I'm excited to call his game, and the fans should be excited to see a player because you only see him once a year as the New York Rangers are in town tomorrow night. Another player, uh, Joe, I want your personal take on uh, some Blues fans. Uh, Chris Kerber and I were talking about the other night in the booth. An interesting player that the Rangers have in Chris Kreider. You know, he's got that modified no-trade clause, but he will be a UFA. And as this season continues to wind forward, um, should Blues fans be hopeful uh, as far as maybe looking at a Chris Kreider as possibly an addition coming into the deadline? Yeah, that's a, that's a that's a great question, uh, Joey. That that uh, none of us know the the answer to. I mean, if you were if you were to ask me my gut feeling about what's going to happen, my gut is that the Rangers are going to move him, and so much of that depends on what you're going to get for a player, right? Because the in the Rangers' case, they're the youngest team in the league, but their coach, David Quinn, who I think is a fabulous at what he does, is pushing these guys to say, okay, you want to make the playoffs? Then let's make the playoffs. Then he, he doesn't let them off the hook on a daily basis. You know, he pushes and pushes and pushes to the point where he's saying, listen, your goal is to make the playoffs. Let's do that then. So they're trying to stay in the race. So now – you know, you fast forward about five weeks or so from now when the trade deadline comes up, you've got Chris Kreider, who's probably going to be a $7 million a year player. And the Rangers do have some cap issues next year. And then the question is, is the guy worth $7 million a year? He's, he's automatically going to get you 25 or 30 goals a season. The speed, the size, the, the 
you know, he, he does so much for your team, but now can you afford him? Because now they've got some of these other players that are coming up. Strom is unrestricted, or not unrestricted, but he's restricted. Tony D'Angelo's having a fabulous season. they got to sign him. So you've got these other, other players you have to sign as well. And then the other factor is what are you going? What's his market value? And so there weren't a lot of teams last year that are, that were willing to give up first round picks and other things for uh, top unrestricted free agents. They did get a first round pick from Winnipeg for Kevin Hayes and a prospect. And so um, is that going to be there? Uh, and our team's going to bid that up. So and then are you going to be close enough in the playoffs where you say, well, the best we can get is a second or third round pick? Or maybe a, a prospect with that, but we're you know we're right on the verge of making the playoffs. Do we keep the player, try to make the playoffs, and go from there? So so much is going to be compensation. There's a lot of question marks happening. Uh, my gut is that he'll be moved, but again, that's just me. That's not getting information from anyone else. Final one for Joe Micheletti, who's kind enough to give us some time here on This Week in Hockey. Joe, when these two teams match up, it's always fun to watch. And specifically going into this one, of course, the Rangers with the talent that you just mentioned, Artemi Panarin, and the young uh, player that they drafted, Capo Caco. And then, of course, what these Blues team is doing. When you see these two teams on paper, what can you expect at puck drop? Well, I, I would expect that the Blues uh, certainly understand that they're playing uh, a team that can really score goals. And the Rangers, they're not the best defensive team. They have to rely on goaltending to win. You know, they gave up 46 or 7 shots again last night. Uh, it's, uh, it's a young defense. And so I, I think what – I think the, the Blues are going to say, listen, we, we better play a physical game and get in their way and not let them get going. And from the Rangers' standpoint, they're saying, you know what, let's, let's hope we get the goaltending again. And they're gonna, the, the Rangers are going to try and play a fast – High paced, uh, you know, high paced game, and uh, and that's when they have the most success. And their coaches have been pushing them to be better defensively. They showed that against Colorado two games ago when they really didn't give Colorado much of anything and beat them, the highest scoring team in the league. So there's there's been a lot of ups and downs with the Rangers, but the one thing they've been is they've been a fun team to cover because they've got an awful lot of young players, and uh, you know they they do make some mistakes. But uh, they're going in the right right direction. So that's that's what I would expect. Well, we can't wait for this one tomorrow night. Joe Micheletti, it's always a pleasure and an honor to get to chat with you. Thank you so much for taking some time out and joining us here on This Week in Hockey. And we will see you at the rink tomorrow. I look forward to that, guys. And I always appreciate you guys having me on. Thanks so much. Thanks, Joe. Final time this hour of This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Don't forget Blues in action tomorrow night as we just talked with Joe Micheletti. Rangers and Blues, 7 o'clock puck drop at Enterprise Center. A 6 o'clock Mitsubishi Electric pregame show presented by First Community. 6.30 BMW of West St. Louis pregame skaters. The Blues will try and make it eight straight victories on home ice. We're going to play a little off of our friends over at the Rizzuto Show as they do a great game called Real or Fake. This one doesn't in- involve uh, boobs, Joe, so we're going to have a little more fun with this one, or maybe not as much fun, I guess I should say. <laughs> but there's some interesting stats in the NHL that I wanted to throw at you, and I want you to tell me if you think they're real or fake. Okay. All right? So like I'll start it. this Let's one go, off. Baby. John Cooper is the longest tenured head coach currently in the NHL. Real or fake? Oh, man, with all the coaches getting fired, I kind of want to... I mean, initially you'd think no, but uh, I'm going to say... I'm going to say yes. 
It's yes. Yes. This ca- So I'm driving home last night, and I'm just thinking, because we talked about John Hines earlier this week, of course, being hired by the Nashville Predators, and I'm thinking... Are we at the point where Craig Berube is one of the most tenured coaches in the NHL? This guy hasn't even been a head coach for a full year. Like, I, I think it's officially <laughs> been a full year. So Craig Berube, out of all the NHL coaches, is actually one of the least tenured head coaches in the NHL currently, which surprised the hell out of me. So Craig Berube, of course, was hired November 19, 2018. So here are the coaches that have been hired before him. Okay. John Cooper, who was hired in 2013, Paul Maurice, 2014, Blashowitz, Detroit, 2015, Tortorella, 2015, Mike Sullivan, 2015, Bruce Boudreau, 2016. Wow. So of all those coaches, Craig Berube's kind of in the middle of those heap. Well, you know what's amazing is that we were talking about this the other day, but you see all the firings now. I mean, uh, last night at the uh, Buffalo game, Curbs threw out a crazy stat where the last six coaches have not made it to year three, I right. think. I mean, that's how quickly the turnover is. But Craig Berube... To me, he really screwed over all the coaches here in the oh, National yeah. <laughs> because oh, of what, so much. Because of what happened last year, Mike Yo gets you know fired. My, Craig Berube comes over as the interim head coach. They win a Stanley Cup. So now every GM in the, in the league's like, maybe we need to fire our coach. Look, the Blues did it, and they won a championship. So now every every team is thinking that way. That's why you're starting to see so many firings nowadays. It's it's insane. I really think teams look at the Blues and they say. Boy, how do we get what they're doing right now? And right. they see Craig Berube, and they're thinking, well, maybe if we get a former player, right? Like, maybe if we go out and get a former guy who's been in the NHL, a well-respected player, maybe that's how we'll go about getting our team to jump in on it. John Hines, of course, uh, somebody that you're familiar with, who was in New Jersey, now with the Nashville Predators. Uh, Bob Bugner, if I'm not mistaken, played in the NHL, yep. if I'm not mistaken. Uh, Jeff Ward, I know, played in the NHL. Dallas Eakins played in the NHL. So where I'm getting at is you're starting to see these coaches hired by NHL teams that may have been assistant coaches, may have been coaches elsewhere, but now they're getting the shot because teams are hoping that they strike lightning in a bottle with their team like the Blues did with Craig Berube. Right, and the, and the Bob Bugner one in San Jose to me intrigued me because Bob Bugner played a very similar style of game right. as Craig Berube. You know? So you kind of almost see that, okay, well maybe Doug Wilson in San Jose is trying to think that, okay, if we get a hard-nosed hockey guy that has earned just a ton of respect from these players who's like tough and you're kind of intimidated by maybe that'll turn this thing around Rod Brindamore another one in Carolina yep. a feisty player who who's done very well for himself in the National Hockey League Jared kinda, Bednar with Colorado Jerry Bednar another good one yeah right there and Rick Tockett yeah Rick Tockett, you've talked yeah, Rick Tockett about. Is, is, is probably the biggest one right now with Rick Tockett there in uh, in Arizona you know players that you look at their coach like whoa this guy was a, a, an, an intimidating meat back right. in his day I don't want to mess with him you know well, we'll see I mean it's interesting seeing these trends of all the former players that you've played with, played against, who do you feel like isn't a coach who would make a great coach? Uh, I think Shane Doan would make a great really? coach um, one day. Especially I, after interviewing him last year with you? Yeah. You just you hear head coach in his voice. He does. He just he he just uh, the way he speaks. There's so much respect is just there. So Shane to me would be a great head coach. Ryan Craig, who is the assistant in Vegas right mm-hmm. now, I played minor league hockey with him. His first year as the assistant there with Gallant, they went to the Stanley Cup final. He almost won the Stanley Cup. He will be a head coach one day. Uh, in, the, in the National Hockey League, so to me, that's one to keep an eye on. And then right here in St. Louis, never played with them, but Steve Ott. Yeah, uh, I love the way Steve talks. I love.
love how he handles his players. I love his demeanor. I love his his coaching style, how he communicates. He has that relationship with players because he was so recently there, but also he kind of keeps professional. But man, what a hockey mind as well. Steve Ott within, I, 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 I could put money on him within the next four to five years. I think he'll be a head coach in the National Hockey League. I think he needs to go down to the American League to be a head coach right. at some point, and I think he will. I think to get that experience, maybe two, three years in the minor somewhere, but eventually we will see him back up here as a head coach. That would, I think that'll be a tough loss for Blues fans when, when Steve Ott moves on as an assistant co- or from an assistant coach because he was well-liked as a player. He'll be even more liked as a head coach somewhere I when agree. he gets that shot. Okay, another one for you, Joe. Real or fake, of the playoff contending teams in the, Nash- or in the Western Conference right now, so as we sit today, the two wildcard teams and then three teams teams from each division that are in a playoff spot of those teams three of them do not have a plus minus goal differential above 10 that is real that's real yeah it's not it's, the separation's not that much no it's really not I mean not. the Edmonton Oilers were in I don't know I think they're one of the teams that was in a minus like they're last a minus week. three they're a minus three and they're in a playoff position right are and, they in the wild card Cur- yeah and Curbs well they're in the third place position of the Pacific yeah Curbs gave the stat yesterday it's been three four maybe five years since a team with a minus goal differential has made the postseason that's you have insane. two of them right now in a playoff position that's insane Edmonton and then Calgary and then you have Colorado that one point was like a plus a million. They're plus 29, which is like, this isn't fair. (laughs) But the Blues sit actually at plus 21, which if you go through the NHL, of course the Metro division is just ridiculous and the Atlantic division is ridiculous. The least amount of plus minus goal differential in the in the uh, Atlantic division is a plus 17 with the Toronto Maple Leafs. Insane. That's four away from what the Blues have. The rest of them are like plus 30 or something I like know. that. It's ridiculous. But so so here's what the Western Conference is, which really surprises me. You got the Blues plus 21 as you mentioned Colorado plus 29. Dallas is plus 15. Remember a couple of mu- a month about a month ago they were like a minus 10. Yeah. And now they're a plus 15. They turned it on. Arizona plus 15, Vegas is only a plus 7. That's surprising. Me. Especially with Mark Andre Fleury. Yeah, but they let up a lot. It seems like they yeah. score a lot, but they let up a and lot. And Fleury was hurt for a while there, so you were playing with two backups as your number one goaltender. And then Calgary, as I mentioned, is a minus nine. Yeah, I don't know if that's going to last because Vancouver's a plus six. Wow. So Calgary might be on the outside looking in if they don't right this ship. I feel like Calgary and Vancouver both are teams early on that I just don't see them making it. I don't uh, know yeah. why. I just they don't seem like a playoff team, right? They don't. We played them too. I mean, although Vancouver kind of they kind of they thumped us pretty good there. In Vancouver. Yeah, uh, I remember that game very well. I think they outplayed us quite a bit. I can't remember if we won or lost that game. I remember the Vancouver. We lost the one, and I think we won the second one. Okay, uh, but Vancouver to me, they just don't seem like a team that's no. going to catch fire. In Calgary, I don't know. Ever since they lost in the playoffs last year after winning the Western Conference, they just have not bounced back right. from that. I, I can I can see them as just being pretenders. So Vancouver far. seems more or closer to being a playoff team than Calgary does. I agree, which I agree. is crazy to say because Calgary was there last year. I know, but I still I still don't see either of them going. But I yeah, think not this close. year. Okay, final one for you, Joe. So, we all love goaltenders scoring goals in the NHL. Oh, I don't know man. if you saw this. Pekka finds the back of the net last night. The first goalie to score a goal since, since 2013 with your former teammate Mike Smith scores a goal. Yep. And we'll talk more about that in later on and what's up with that. But Pekka scores a goal, real or fake, he now has more goals than Charlie McAvoy, Justin Abdelkader, Mark Jankowski, who, let's not forget, had 15 goals last season. And uh, who's this? 
those those three. I, I kind of sold that one that that's real, so I guess it sucks for me. That's okay. I, w- I would say fake before you built it up <laughs> like that. Before I ruined Charlie it. Charlie McAvoy does not have a goal. Charlie McAvoy does not have a goal. Justin Abdelkader does not have a goal. Mark Jankowski does not have a goal. That's amazing. There's one more, too, that didn't have a goal, and I just blew it because that real or fake doesn't even sound <laughs> fake anymore. So this game kind of fell apart. That, But how about Charlie that? Charlie McAvoy. I mean, that one alone surprised me. On Being on such a good team, he's on the power play a lot. He plays like the most power play minutes for him. It's insane. Yeah. Not a goal. Not a goal. Pecorine has more goals. <laughs> I can't wait to see him chirp McAvoy if they play they play him in the near future. I'm always because last year, you know, we we went through a little bit of a spurt there where I forgot who it was. I think it was it was either William Carlson or there was another player that had like 20 goals the year. I think it was, it was William Carlson. Carlson. It was Carlson. He didn't have a goal in the first like 60 games of the season. I think his first goal came on us when we went to yeah. San Jose. I think like late November. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah. How about? I always like seeing that because there's always teams out there that are like, dude, what the hell's wrong with this guy? I know he's not scoring goals. Big kudos at Pecorino. Pecorino finding the back, and we'll talk more about that because I want to get Joe's thoughts on if he's ever seen a goaltender score a goal. But it's this week in hockey. We'll wrap up the first hour. We'll come back with plenty more when we return. The Bachelor continues to make its rounds in the NHL. Oh, baby! Even here at home, and we'll talk about that next year on 101 ESPN. Welcome back to This Week in Hockey. Joe Vitale, Alex Ferrario with you here on a Friday night. And we're going to bring The Bachelor into the conversation because, of course, we get to the station this evening and Joe Vitale opens up his binder and says, oh, I got to finish. I got to fill out my bachelor bracket. Got to do it. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's like NCAA men's basketball bracket. You got to do it. And so, got, so how do you win at the bachelor bracket? Well, so at the end of it all, whoever has the most... Uh, most people in, in the winning, I mean, you just hit, break it down just like a basketball. Who, right. if, obviously, if you get the winner, it's important. Uh, then they go week by week. It's nine weeks total, and you have to start with week two. We Week one's done, so I have to fill out the next 18 that I see making it past week two. And then you go to week three. Who are the 15 to make it there? And then you go week four. Who are the 11 to make it? So it's just kind of like you just keep this siphoning down. And I, I, it's one of those things I've always been into. I've always been really? into The Bachelor ever since season one. Now, I've did al- your wife get you into The Bachelor, or did you get into it? So I was always into The Bachelor. We, we The Bachelor was out before we met. And so I was into it, and she was into it in her own little la-la world wherever she was at the time. We meet like five, <laughs> six years later, and one of the things we had in common was we both watched The Bachelor. We had, I still to this day, on opening night, week one, I make chocolate-covered strawberries. Really? I made them last week. <laughs> I go to the store, I melt the chocolate, chocolate strawberries, my wife's not pregnant, we'll have wine, but she's pregnant right now again, obviously. But, you know, we do the wine, we do the chocolate-covered Probably strawberries. from The Bachelor, it's marathons that you that. guys have. And we just get so excited about it. I don't know. It's such a great show because you can make fun of the contestants. It's just, it's just my, it's my guilty pleasure. Let's just put it Suave that way. over here himself. It's, it's my Us Weekly, like where we all have our little, we gotta get our fix on. But what's so funny is this isn't just like uh, us joking around. This is an actual thing, and I've never seen. A group of people talk more about The Bachelor than in the NHL. Yeah. Like, The Bachelor bracket and The Bachelor viewing parties, they're not a joke. NHL players watch this as well, whether it be wives or just something that they find entertaining. This is the route they go. It's a real, it's a real deal. I mean, yeah. teams have a lot of fun with it too with the players as far as like who would be the bachelor on your team, uh, who do you like in the bachelor, who's your front runner, and and it's so funny because fans love it. 
Because here you are, you have this like brute of a hockey player right. who's like getting in fights and he's playing physical <laughs> and playing on the big stage. But then they have this soft side where they're watching The Bachelor. And, <laughs> and I think that for players, it it's kind of a, a good release where you are so like stressed a lot and you're under high high tension all the time. Mm-hmm. Where sometimes you just need uh, maybe a show or something just to kind of like a mindless TV to kind of get away <laughs> from things. And for the two hours there on Monday night, man, I'm telling you, there's nothing like God, it. That's awesome. Now my wife's gonna be jealous. Like, Why don't you make me chocolate? covered strawberries when I watch The Bachelor. Now I'm going to start watching it with her. So I thought we'd have some fun with this as we open up the second hour. Paul Biznasty, of course, a guest here on This Week in Hockey a couple weeks ago, the Spittin' Chicklets host, your former teammate. He put a tweet out there, which I thought was very interesting. Of your NHL team, and we can expand this to the NHL in general, but we'll start just with the Blues. Who, in your opinion, would make the best Bachelor? On the Blues team? On the Blues team. Let's start with the Blues team. You know what? Wow, that's a great question. And if you asked me last year, I would say Michael Delzato. Oh, yeah. Because he's, <laughs> oh, yeah. he's a bit of a man rocket. Between the flow that he, he possesses and just his mantra... He totally is a man rocker. I remember during playoffs last year, we were in, uh, gosh, oh, we were in San Jose, and he was by the pool because he was a healthy scratch, and I was there getting some rays. I was like, oh my God, who is that? Anyway, uh, <laughs> last year, this year, uh, I'm going to go, you know what? I, he's my buddy, Robert Portuzo. Really? I know, yeah. He, he, I mean, he's in the dating scene right now. I was going to say, he's taken now. So, no disrespect, but he's not married. So, if, if I'm going to go strictly off guys who are not married, mm-hmm. uh, let's not include guys who are dating because you never know where that could go but I would say Robert Bortuzzo simply from a personality right. standpoint I mean he he talks so well <laughs> he's got such a good personality he's smart he's into like lots of things where he keeps conversations so fresh and engaging I think he would be good under the pressure of having 30 women like right. going Google and Gaga for him too so my pick for the Blues would be Robert Bortuzzo how about you hear me out on this Colton Pareko Wow, I, you know, I think too nice though. That's but that's where I'm going with this. It, and I've only seen a couple of Bachelor episodes, so you would know this better than I yeah. would. You're not going to get the drama with Colton Pareko because he's too nice. But that's what's going to attract all of the ladies to him. Oh, I man. mean, let's be honest here. Colton Pareko could be a man rocking himself if he wanted to. Oh, he is. Dude is tall. He is <laughs> handsome. Like he can pull it off, but he's got that politeness to him. I just can't see him. You, choosing you, between you, women, you got to make love to the camera when you're the bachelor. I mean, you got to. I you think Cole Pareko could make love uh, to the camera. I don't know. I think he'd be so bashful. He's just such a nice guy. That's I true. I don't know. You got to have a good woman cast if he was ever in the bachelor to keep it entertaining and spicy. Yeah, those would be the ones that would have to kind of bring him out of his shell for I agree. it. I agree. I'd like to see Jordan Bennington on the Bachelor too. Jordan Bennington. How about that? <laughs> How about that attitude in The Bachelor? Oh, man, that might be the best season yet. Hey, Jordan, do you want to go out talk from it? Sure. Sure. <laughs> okay, clearly you don't watch a lot of Bachelor. No, I don't. See, I don't know. I have no idea how this works. <laughs> NHL-wise, though, is there one player that sticks out to you that'd be like, okay, he'd be a perfect Bachelor? You know, I was thinking Henrik Lundqvist. That's like the obvious yeah, one. I, I mean, mean, how do you go against a GQ model? I mean, he's just the suits and he's got... But the problem, you know, he's 37, I think, now, yeah. so he's a little bit older. Maybe that's the, like, geriatric Bachelor. But then you're going to be attracting older women, which I don't know if America's the really... Cougar Bachelor. Yeah. Yeah, the Cougar, which, I mean, there could be that. I'd probably watch that more. Yeah, maybe. Maybe I would, too. I'm just saying it goes against what the Bachelor, usually they're in that kind of low 20s to upper 20 game, mm-hmm. which, you know, I mean, if he's 37, maybe he does, he's in that sort of thing. I just don't know if the women would be into that. But 
I'm going to kind of throw Tom Wilson out there. Oh, yeah. Tom He's Wilson a man for rocket the Washington too. Capitals, man. He, I, know, I know he has a girlfriend. I think her name is Taylor Pischke, and she's actually on the Canadian women's volleyball team. She does, she does doubles for the Olympic team. Okay. She's, I'm sold. She's awesome. And <laughs> But Tom Wilson, again, he's dating, so she's, he's still within the radar. Uh, I think for his edge, I think how many times he's been suspended. He's got a great story. He won a Stanley Cup. Uh, I thought he'd be a cool bachelor. Uh, I'll give you a flip on this one. Who I think would make the worst bachelor? Brent Burns. <laughs> <laughs> she would be entertaining. Can you imagine watching Burns? Like, they don't know who they're about to meet. It's the blind bachelor. They get out of their limo, and then you just see this dude with a man bun, and tattoos no everywhere, and no front teeth. Oh, imagine the girls he would attract. Oh, I mean, they'd be all biker chicks with, like, sleeve tattoos. <laughs> that would be... I'd watch that. Bad. How many women would he attract with no teeth? Uh, you know, I think the women are kind of into it, to be honest oh, with you. Oh, God, yeah. Look yeah. at him. I know. You cut that hair a little short, you might pull somebody off. <laughs> oh, geez. Well, there you go. That's The Bachelor in terms of NHL version from Joe Vitale and Alex Ferrario. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, the Central Division is becoming a real deal. We'll talk about that next in the competition for St. Louis on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. We continue here on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you. Blues and Rangers in action tomorrow night. And right now, Joe, points are crucial. And I know that sounds so cliche in the middle of a season, but... Though Central Division is starting to be a real powerhouse, and you always expect that, but it was kind of an anomaly how the season started off, right? Like the Dallas Stars were bad, the Winnipeg Jets were bad, Nashville, Chicago, Minnesota. The only two teams that were good in the Central were the Blues and the Avalanche. Now, you have the Dallas Stars who have leapfrogged the Colorado Avalanche to get back into second place in the Central. You have the Winnipeg Jets who are striking distance of getting into a top three position, and then you have the Nashville Predators, Minnesota Wild, and Really, the Chicago Blackhawks all within a, within a couple of wins of getting into a playoff spot. Like it's the real deal when you get the Central Division. Well, you use the term striking distance, and to me, Alex, that's what the Blues were at last year around this time. They were within striking distance, so there was hope. And I think that a lot of teams are using what the Blues did last year, and and they're looking at their season as this is the time to strike because this is uh, the very important time before the All Star break, and then obviously the trade deadline is is looming in the distance, and that's when general managers need to make decisions on their team on which direction to go. And we spoke to Joe Micheletti earlier in this show, and he was talking about the New York Rangers as far as what they need to do as far as heading into the deadline or what they need to expect. I mean, Jeff Gordon there in New York, he's got to make a decision on the Chris Kreider's the world do you make a push do you try to get into the playoffs or do you just sell and keep rebuilding and that's to me the decisions being made now the players and the coaches are affected by that because depending on where they are in the standings heading up to that all-star break and heading into that uh, trade down line especially that's where the decisions are going to be made so the time is now to push the blues made that push last year and we all saw what happened because of that but you mentioned how tight it is i mean the blues are leading the central division right now as you mentioned 63 points uh you know the Vancouver Canucks are, are just out of it at 50. That's 13 points. They're out of the wild card spot. They're not even in the playoff pitch right now. It's only 13 points spread. Um, right now, Dallas Stars are nipping at the heels. They're coming out of out of nowhere. I might right. tell you, that's a scary team. It is. Uh, the Central's just stacked right now. Dallas, Colorado, those teams scare me. I'm not worried about Nashville, Minnesota, obviously Chicago. Uh, when you look at the playoff pitcher, um, and I'm looking ahead right now, but though those two teams that are nipping at our heels, Dallas and Colorado, those are the two teams. They just play that heavy, aggressive. Of, uh, high power offense, good goaltending style of hockey. This kind of makes me nervous. The best case scenario, and again, this is down the road, but the best case scenario for, in my eyes, 
is those two teams battle it out in the first round. That'd be perfect. Like you want the two teams that concern you the most to go head to head so that they're worn down a little bit. I truly believe that if the Dallas Stars played the Blues in the first round last year, it would have been an even tighter competition. I mean, that one came down to a bounce, but Dallas and Nashville kind of beat each other up in that first round last year. Well, on the playoffs were today, Alex. You know, we'd have that. I mean, the St. Louis Blues would be facing that second wild card, which is the Winnipeg Jets. How about that? Another matchup with those guys in the I first know. round. But you got those, and I think they, the Blues could handle them a lot better this year. I think they're not right. as heavy as they were last year. You know, they lose a lot of pieces on defense. Right. Uh, you know, Shabbat, you got there. Shabbat, excuse me. You got Dustin Bufflin, who may be returning, but he's still not back. You lose uh, so Tyler Myers. You lose Tyler Myers. Jacob Truba. Jacob Truba. Joe Morrow on the back yeah. end. So a lot of defensive pieces that are, are gone from Winnipeg, although they're still very good. But like you were saying, St. Louis would play Winnipeg. The playoffs were right now, and then of course you'd have the Dallas and Colorado just battle it out. Let those let those big bullies just have at it, just go at it for seven games, wear themselves down, and then hopefully if we get through Winnipeg in five six games, and then you know I know I'm speaking way ahead I right know. now, but then you have Dallas or Colorado after one of those has already been eliminated. But I think that's the perks right now of what the Blues are doing, and that's why I opened this up by saying points are crucial because where you sit, I think you want the top spot this season in the Central because. You know, you do have the fatigue factor, and I know we always talk about it, but when you get to the postseason, I think that's where the fatigue factor truly sits. So if you're in the top spot, you kind of dictate, you know, you're playing better at home. You're the team that's welcoming in the competition. You're the team that you got to take down. Now, that will take some, oh, you're going to get the team's best games against you, but I also think there's a fear factor there. Whereas, if you're doing what you did last year, or you squeaked into the playoffs and it's like, boy, I don't know if you can count on this team, I think you don't get as as much of the best games. But this Blues team rises to the occasion when they take on a team knowing that they have to give them their best. Well, and every year's different. Now, last year, I mean, you mentioned the home dominance this year. Last year, they were better on the road. Right. They fall in that third spot in the division, so they play Winnipeg, who is the second hole, and they have to go to Winnipeg to open things up. But that worked out well for the Blues, because uh, throughout those couple rounds there, and then you go to San Jose, you were playing on the road, right. which is which was the advantage there last year. Even the in the Stanley Cup Final. In the Stanley Cup Final as well. Now, this year, I think it's a little bit different. I think they're so good at home, where you're right. I think you're actually you're, it benefits you to finish at the very top because then you will have home ice throughout the majority of those playoffs. Man, we'll have to see how the entire West shakes out, and then obviously uh, the Stanley Cup final. But uh, this team is better on at home ice, and they're dominant at home ice. They're, they've been terrific at front of these fans here at Enterprise Center in Saint, downtown St. Louis. So to me, that's that is the incentive for right now for the Blues to keep pushing forward, and they're always going to be pushing forward. I mean, you always want to win games, but even more so now. The players are starting to see the benefits of home ice and how well they're playing here. So it's something they really want to lock up. I don't think it was as urgent and much of an urgency last year to lock up home ice right. as it is this year because. Uh, they were a little tentative at home. I mean, it was, it was a little shaky at home. Goaltending, maybe not the best at times. The team felt like the pressure from the fans a little bit at times when mm-hmm. the power play wasn't going good. They found the game on the road. They loved the road, but this year it's a little bit different. Of the teams that we've talked about in the Central, and where there's, I'll tell you a team that scares me more than Colorado and Dallas does, Joe, and it's the Minnesota Wild. And I know that sounds kind of crazy because, you know, they're further out. They're 46 points away. Or they're at 46 points, which are eight points away from being in the top three in the Central. But they have weapons offensively that can hurt you. Of course, even adding Matt Zuccarello, who's starting to play a little bit better. He was a weapon against the Blues last year when he was with the Dallas Stars. But Minnesota's a team that if they can figure out their goaltending, and I know they've had some tough time with Devin Dubnik, and they've gone back and forth with Alex Stalock and a couple of others, but if their goaltending tightens up, 
they could be a dangerous team, and they're a team that always seems to prove the Blues fits when they play against them. Well, and they're coached very well by yeah. Bruce Boudreaux. I mean, all the years Bruce Boudreaux has been in the league, Curbs and I talked about it, I think he's only missed the playoffs like twice. Yeah, I think you're right. Of, of, all, of all the years he's been in the National Hockey League, I mean, that is an insane number. So he's a coach that understands how to get there. He knows what is expected of his players, and he knows how to win playoff hockey. The Minnesota Wilds scare me in a sense that they can win playoff games. They play a playoff style of hockey. I was watching their game versus Calgary the other night. They lose this game, but I'm talking things they do in a game that you do in playoffs to win games. I mean, they get to the net extremely hard. Mm-hmm. They have those heavy players that know how to grind it out. Uh, Eric Stahl, Miko Koivu is still going. Zach Parisi, he's a player that gets to the net and knows how to grind and knows how to win playoff games you know their biggest weakness right now for me is still on the back end with Ryan Suter here he's kind of leading the way uh it's a little bit of a drop off from there I mean you have the sponge uh, Spurgeon, Spurgeon excuse and me, Dumba and Dumba but after that I just don't know if the defensive depth is there but I just know that this is the characteristic traits they have like the character in that room you look at players like Parisi, Suter, Koivu, Stahl I mean Zuccarello who's been been the dance those are players that know how to get there. They know how to win playoff games. So to me, I agree. I think if they fall into that second wild excuse me, second wild card hole, it may not be as easy of a matchup for the St. Louis Blues as we all expect it right off the bat because of that kind of hard playoff style they play. Can John Hines get the Nashville Predators back to? I don't want to say the playoffs because they're in distance of a playoffs, but can he get them back to? playoff competition, meaning like they could be a dangerous team in a half of a season. I think so. I, I do. I think David Poyle hired him for a reason. I don't think he brought in interim head coach. I think he saw a great prospect on the market and he grabbed him right away. I mean, to me, how aggressive he replaced Peter Laviolette should make people believe in Nashville that this coach can actually turn this thing around. David Poyle brought John Hines in to turn this around now. Their window is now. Mm-hmm. I mean, Pecorina, you look at uh, uh, Johansson, you look at all the players. Even tur- Roman Yossi. Uh, Roman Yossi. I mean, you have the tourists there who's kind of the third, fourth line, but uh, Yarncroke. I mean, all these players, their window was a few years ago when they went to the Stanley Cup final. They missed it last year after adding all those pieces and Wayne Simmons and Brian Boyle, and they thought they had the heaviness they needed to get to the final. That didn't work out too well. Uh, to me, David Poyle looked at it this year as we got the pieces, they're just not getting it done. Maybe we need a new voice, and and I and I agree with the decision. I mean, we we spoke on an earlier show this year about two months ago, Alex, and we thought that Peter Laviolette was the next coach in the hot seat. And yeah. We were right. A new voice can help a team. John Hines, he coached me in the minors. He is a hardcore military style type of coach. He reminds you a lot of Craig Berube. Not obviously as big, physical. He didn't play in the league, but he has a really direct approach in a simplified game, but he expects a lot out of his players, and the players will respect him because he just has that kind of disposition. He has that um, approach and delivery when he's talking. I remember we, we would play games in the minors, and we'd be at the end of a four and five, four games and five nights, or maybe three games and three nights. We'd be in Adirondack. It's the middle of January. We're exhausted. We just want to get home. We just need a day off. We're playing in the minors. We're traveling on the buses. We're eating pizza. I mean, go on and on and on. Every reason in the world as we're getting ready for the game, to just feel down on yourself. And I remember John Hines was a coach that would walk into the room, and within five minutes he would leave the room, and the entire team was like 
on their feet, ready to go, amped wow. up. We were aggressive. We were like, just let's go. Let's go get this thing. I, he had the ability to read a room very well and kind of flip the energy. Mm-hmm. And he and I think that's what he's going to do in Nashville. And I think that um, you know the Nashville Predators, again, are another team. They're looking at it like what the St. Louis Blues did last year. Yes, they're out of it. But they're not that out of it. They're still within reach. They're still within striking distance, as you mentioned. I think with a new voice there, I think they're going to change up a couple things, and the power play will improve under John Hines because that's something that I cannot believe they're so bad on the power right. play. But that's how they were in the postseason last year. Uh, they couldn't score a power play goal. I mean, get a freaking power play goal every now and then. It can make a difference, uh, especially with the talent they have. But he's got a very simple approach, and I think he will turn this thing around. I think they will make the playoffs. I think they will slide into yeah. that wild card spot there and – and once you get in, you never know. But John Hines is a big addition. I, I, I am really excited that he's back in the league because I just I love I love him first of all, but I also love uh, the teams that he kind of coached around. I don't think he was given a fair shake in, in Jersey. All the rebuilding. It's hard pieces. to go there and, and expect to have a big turnaround that quick. Yeah, I mean you get PK Subban. I mean you got young Jack Hughes. I mean it's just I think you got old guys like Palmieri. I mean it's just. Yeah. It's just a no weird goal mix. Tending. No goaltending. It's a weird mix right there. But I think in Nashville, he has um, some really good chess pieces he can move around. With all that being said, Joe, and this is the final thing before we take a break, uh, the fact that the Blues just went 9-2-1 and in 12 straight games against the Western Conference, and even that one loss, you had the lead in. So, I mean, you get a total of 19 points out of that total 24. That tells you... That there should be. This isn't a a fluke. This isn't a joke right now. What the Blues are doing, they're dominant against the Western Conference. I mean, overall this season they've struggled against what Nashville, Vancouver, and a couple of games that got away from them. Other than that, it's been completely dominant against teams in the West. And you know, it's almost it's almost tough to watch. You know, it's it's tough to watch because it's just like I mean, come on. Last night I'm looking at the game. Someone turned the puck over. Yeah. So I mean, it may make it exciting. Just put just put a goal in so we can have something here. I was talking to Neil Komodowski, who's uh, one of the scouts for Vancouver Canucks. He's he's a local kid here, and he does a great job for Vancouver. And, and he's a scout, and, and we were having a discussion, and and he he told me he goes, I leave most games. And I am just like, gosh, that was a boring game, but boring in a good sense because right. the Blues just—they don't step outside themselves. They don't—they don't turn the puck over. It's not a track meet. They're not a very fast team. They know they're not a very fast team, so they know they got to take really good care of that puck. They got to grind. They got to keep it on the boards. They got to keep it behind the net, and they're just going to block shots and hold you to the outside. It is a very <laughs> boring game sometimes for scouts. Broadcasters, and I'm sure fans alike. Oh yeah, I mean you're going to see the New York Rangers come to town tomorrow night, and you, you talk about a uh, a high octane team that's exciting, but also can shoot themselves in the foot quite a bit. But uh, an exciting, it's very very different, right? You know, but this is what makes the Blues so successful. They don't step without themselves. They know what they are. They know what they're not, and uh, they really just cater to those strengths of holding on to the puck, playing defensive first hockey. They're getting the saves, and and they're winning games right now. It's it's a good time yeah. to be a Blues fan. Not to prolong this segment, but uh, you. Remember last year when you and I were talking to Chad Johnson, the the backup goaltender to Jake Allen, and he told us when the struggles were happening, he said it's so uncommon because when I played against this team with Buffalo and Calgary, they're boring. Like as a goaltender, he said, I was bored sitting in between the pipes because nothing was happening until our team made one mistake and then they pounced like leopards. And he said from that point, it was over. But that's how this team rolls. And Chad Johnson probably loved uh, the idea of coming to St. Louis because of that reason, but unfortunately it didn't really work out that way. Unfortunately. Well, it worked out for us because Bennington came in, but yeah, not so much for Chad. Let's go by Tally and Alex Ferrario. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. Two players that could be returning and are returning could make the 
difference in playoff consideration. We'll talk about that next here on This Week in Hockey on 101 ESPN. We continue on This Week in Hockey. Alex Ferrario, Joe Vitale with you as I teased it going into the break. Two teams might have just set themselves up for a hell of a postseason run with some roster moves that, well, I guess kind of all of us have expected. Now, one is a for sure thing, and that's the Carolina Hurricanes bringing back Justin Williams. Justin Williams, of course, their captain last year. He was an unrestricted free agent. They didn't re-sign him because he needed to take time away from hockey to decide where he wanted to go. Lo and behold, he stays in hockey. He plays with his kids for a little bit in the in the start of the season, decides he wants to return, and he signs a one-year contract. So he's officially back with Carolina, unsure of when he's going to return to the ice, but he signed a contract. He's going to be returning. Now, the other one is a rumor that was put out by Pierre Lebrun saying that Dustin Bufflin has returned to Winnipeg. He's skating with his teammates. He's out there. He's rehabbing to try and return. He's under contract, so he's basically been suspended and fined for missing the deadline of returning, Joe, but it looks like he could be returning for the Winnipeg Jets. That would be a huge addition for the Winnipeg team going into a postseason run. Yeah, I mean, the most dangerous one right now for Blues fans is is the Dustin Bufflin Winnipeg one. That's more pertains to our situation, especially on a playoff run this year, assuming Blues continue their dominance in the West. Dustin Bufflin... Listen, he yeah, leading point point gear last year in the playoffs. He is a big body for Winnipeg. He uses his physicality. He's hard to get around. He's terrific on the power play. He's got an absolute missile from the point. He's a threat in a lot of different ways. And, and in some ways, I think he's more of a threat this year than he was last year. If he does return, if the rumors are true, because now you're looking at Dustin Bufflin, who's going to be fresh. Maybe mm-hmm. he comes back. We're at mid-January, getting close on mid-January. I think he's probably at least four weeks out if he's just starting to skate and rehab now with the ankle injury and surgery he had. So now we're talking mid-February, maybe late February he comes back. He'll probably play five, six weeks of hockey. And again, this is all on the assumption that the rumors are true. He will play five, six weeks of hockey, which is just a plenty of time to get in the rhythm of things uh, heading into playoff time. So to me, this is a more dangerous Dustin Bufflin then you have a Dustin Bufflin of last year who played the long stretch and got hurt for a couple little stints there but he played the longevity of the entire season so maybe a little bit more tired than normal so that's the first one uh, Justin Williams I think he's gonna be a great piece for Carolina mm-hmm. I, I talked to Joel Edmondson and he loves his time in Carolina he's a great team but it's a young team it's still very young you look at Slavens you look at the Dougie Hamiltons I mean they have a lot of um, young players Feshnikov another one even their goaltender Peter Mrazek yeah so Sebastian Ajo I mean it's a young talented group that's coached very well they use their speed they're very similar to the New York Rangers in the sense that they run and gun they, they score a lot of goals defensively things could tighten up a little bit but this is where you bring in uh, the Alexander Steen. This is where you bring in the Godfather. This is where you bring in the Grandpa, who can still play great playoff hockey. He's a proven winner. He's won wherever he's mm-hmm. gone. He was such a big piece of their puzzle last year in playoffs as they made a splash and got Carolina very excited for playoffs and, and, and hockey just in general down in Carolina. So bringing Justin Williams back, he's going to provide that leadership role uh, throughout that uh, Carolina team. Both teams right now sitting in wild card spots. Carolina in the first wild card spot in the East. 
in the Winnipeg Jets uh, on the bottom, that second wild card spot in the West right now. So you look at two veterans, one definitely coming back and one rumored to come back that could make things even more interesting in, in both conferences. I, I, we'll touch on Buffalo in a bit, but I want to stick to the Justin Williams one, Joe. I, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, you kind of expected him to come back. And, you know, he even said that, you know, the love of the game goes away when you play as long as he does and you have to kind of reassess to make sure that you want to go through it again. Mm-hmm. Is that true? I mean, you've been with guys before who have stepped away from the game, who have thought about stepping away from the game. How fast does that happen where you kind of lose the love of it? Uh, it happens It happens to players. It's a real thing because you spend your whole life playing the sport and you get to the National Hockey League and let's say you end up on a team that's not very good or, or for whatever reason, but the grind kind of eats away at you. It eats away at your personality. It, it eats away at the, you know, the media. Uh, can come at you in a pretty volatile way. Uh, maybe you're not living up to expectations. Uh, the travel, uh, traveling on planes. I know uh, there is this glamorous side of the NHL that uh, is very, very clear, but there is this tough side too. And players dealing with sleep issues. Um, it's a physical game. You're dealing with injuries. The expectations are high for your performance, for the team's performance. For a player like Dustin Bufflin, he probably feels a lot on his shoulders as a leader and as a veteran in this league. So when the team uh, doesn't live up to those expectations, he probably takes a heavy weight upon himself. So all that pressure... Uh, it, it could it could baffle you. It could really um, it just collapse you in a way. And I think that it's it's a real thing for players who who see that when they retire. I think this it's a great break. I think the first five five six months, uh, certainly when I retired, uh, it was a nice break. You can kind of look around and reassess and enjoy the little things in life. Maybe the ice cream or or the family vacations or not having to go to the gym three times a day. So that's all very intriguing. But I will say that that kind of wears off too. Mm-hmm. And I think maybe this is what we're seeing with some players. And I'm not saying this is what's going on with Dustin Bufflin, but you do take that little five to six month kind of grace period. And then you kind of look at it and then you you do miss the game. And at the end of the day, you just realize you just needed a break. Right. It's very hard to find a break these days, even in the off season, because these players, Alex, they go from right when the season ends, whether they make the, let's say they don't make the playoffs or done early April or, or they're done in May. Whatever the case may be, they take about four or five weeks off, but it's right back into it. In some ways, training in the summer is just as hard as the grind of the season. I mean, you two-a-day workouts, you're skating every day, you got to take even better care of your body because you're getting ready for the season. So there really is no time off. I know it sounds crazy because you think the season's only six months if you don't include the playoffs, but there's really no, no off time. There's really no off switch for these players. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of times when you see veterans like Dustin Bufflin, guys up there in age, I think that a little break could could do them some good. Again, I'm expecting Justin Williams. And if Dustin Bufflin does come back, I believe they're going to come back and be very effective because of the break they've received. And Dustin Bufflin's a different scenario because he, he's under contract with Winnipeg. Right. So he he's with them. And of course, like I said, he was fined and suspended for basically not coming back when he was supposed to. And then they figured that out. And of course, he can return. Is is it just me, Joe, and maybe it's just from the outsider's perspective, it seems a little unfair that Justin Williams, who has that relationship with Carolina, he's an unrestricted free agent, he decides that he doesn't want to play hockey, and then he's like, well, you know what, I think I want to come back. And then he comes back middle of the season, of course, perfect time to be a weapon for a team to go on and win a Stanley Cup. 
And again, I understand the personal side of this to where, you know, you do lose that that love for a little bit where you have to reassess like you talked about. But from the other 30 teams looking at it, it's like, oh, really? Like, come on. This this guy's coming back now, like the guy who wins Stanley Cups for teams, and he's taking the time off, and so now he's healthy, and now he can return. Well, I mean, yeah, it's crazy, but you can look at like how Troy Brower came back to the St. Louis Blues. You and know saved what I mean? him, yeah, with depth. It saved him with depth. So, you know, for general managers, uh, it, it, it's a tough tough job being a general manager. you got to keep an eye on players in the league. you got to keep an eye on your prospects. you got to make sure your scouts are on top of the college game. I mean, it's it's no joke. And now you got to keep an eye on players that are you know, recently retired or maybe thinking about coming back because we saw early on and we've seen in this locker room how effective Troy Brower has yeah. been for this, these young guys. I Don't look past this. I mean, the Blues have been very successful this year and you cannot um, rule out the fact that Troy Brower's presence has made a big impact on this team. I know for a fact that him being in that locker room and him being on the road and being around these young players has had a, a tremendous impact on this team. So those are little things to think about. You know, with Justin Williams, you know, we don't know. We don't right. know really what's going on. Um, maybe he had something kind of personal going on at home. Maybe something's going on with a family member. Maybe something's just going on with his uh, mental psyche. So, you know, I don't think a lot of players and a lot of people look at it from the outside thinking that's unfair, that shouldn't be allowed, because we never know what's going on in a player's head. Mm-hmm. But uh, the fact that he is back, again, it just it, it makes that Carolina team that much more effective. Yeah, and they were dangerous last year with him, and they've been dangerous this year without him. And, and I'm with Joe. I, I mean, you talk about about a guy who's healthy, coming back, a leader. He can turn that locker room around, and it's a guy who's winning. All in your captain has been a winning guy who won a Stanley Cup in Carolina, so that's a big factor. Now, back to the Dustin Bufflin thing. This was one that was so interesting to me, Joe, because he was dealing with a little bit of an injury. I think it was an ankle or ankle. a leg injury in the offseason that he just felt like wasn't there for him. Kind of was rehabbing, but then he also said that he had to step away from the game for personal reasons as well. Him returning changes the entire outlook of the Central Division, I think, with the Dustin Bufflin on the blue line, because that's a team, as we just talked about, that lost all of their defensemen, lost that physical presence that they had when the Blues played them last year. I mean, we remember talking about it going into that first round. This is going to be a tough six, seven game series because you got to deal with the big body of Myers, the physicality of Bufflin, the aggressiveness of Truba. Now you put that back in a team that's offensively gifted, has a very good goaltender in Connor Hellebuck, a Dustin Bufflin and a healthy Dustin Bufflin, albeit, can make whatever matchup you see with the Winnipeg Jets, whether it's the first round or the second round, however they finish, a dangerous matchup once again. It will be. And I think that, you know, like we talked about his big body, how he's hard to move. He's hard to remove from the net. He's got the big bomb on the power play. Uh, and it's just his presence. He's one of those players that when you look across the ice, Alex, or you look down the bench and you see him, automatically as a player, you just kind of go, oh boy, got to deal with this guy. It's kind of <laughs> like that Zidane Chara effect. Right. I mean, and don't remember when. When Zeno Charles got hurt last year, remember he took that uh, he, the he, puck off the jaw, the puck off the jaw, right off the shaft thing with Braden Shen mm-hmm. shot that puck. He comes back on the bench with the shield. Now remember that game? He didn't yep. play a shift. Nope, just sat there. Bruce Cassidy sat him on the bench because again, it's kind of like you know it pumps your team up because mm-hmm. the presence helps his team and Bruce Cassidy. But then there's also that idea that you know just seeing him on the bench kind of instills a little bit of fear and I think that Dustin Bufflin has that effect when uh, their opponents are going up against the Winnipeg Jets you look at his big body and you're like oh my god because he can he can still hit oh, he yeah. can be physical and he can skate I know he's a big body but he can get up and down the ice he doesn't need to push as many strides as a normal player because he's so big so this is going to be 
This is going to be an interesting one. And to me, if he comes back around that February time, this is like a um, this is like a trade deadline addition. Yeah. But it didn't cost you anything. I mean, and who knows? Maybe the Winnipeg Jets add another piece on the back end defensively. They are starting to gain momentum. They are in that second wild card spot right now. I do believe they're going to make a push. I do like the makeup of the team. I, I know Blake Wheeler. I don't know Mark Shifley, but to me, he's very similar to Blake Wheeler in the sense that he's a leader and uh, he demands a lot out of himself. And he's kind of got a little bit of that Ryan O'Reilly in, in him. I love Paul Maurice. I love the depth. I think offensively, the Winnipeg Jets are probably as scary as any team in the West. I'm talking from a forward standpoint. You look at the depth. I mean, the last time we played him after December, I know we swept the home and home. But this is a team still without Brian Little, without Perot. I mean, there was a bunch of injuries, and they were still very deep from the offensive side of things. So that's going to improve as the injuries continue to get healthier in in Winnipeg. But then you look at the defensive side. Uh, You get a Dustin Bufflin, which, again, is a free trade deadline deal for the Winnipeg Jets. You get a big piece on the back end. Connor Hellebuck is playing some really good hockey right now. He's been saving them in a lot of games. And then maybe they go out and they get another defensive piece, and this could be a very intriguing team come down to the deadline and into the playoffs. No doubt about it. We'll take a quick break on this week in hockey. We'll come back and do a little preview of the Rangers game tomorrow night as we wrap up here on 101 ESPN. Final time here on a Friday night before the Blues and Rangers drop the puck tomorrow night. 7 o'clock puck drop with Curbs and Joey. I will have your Mitsubishi Electric pregame show starting at 6 and then the BMW of West St. Louis pregame skate starting at 6.30 and of course it's the New York Rangers coming to town. Another Eastern Conference team and the first look at the New York Rangers this season, Joe, and we talked with Joe Micheletti in the first hour a very skilled, a very gifted offensive team, a team that's still trying to figure things out on the defensive side and of course a young team. Something that you look at and say, boy, the Blues should have an easy one with with this, but anytime you deal with Panarin, when you deal with Chris Kreider, a Zabinijad, these guys know how to score goals, and that's always a problem that can present to the Blues. Well, that's what Joe Micheletti was talking about a little bit earlier, and you know he's absolutely right. This is a team that just they score a lot of goals. They have a lot of firepower. Uh, you know, Artemi Panarin, uh, Chris Kreider, those two guys just jump out at you right away. Zabinijad coming over from Ottawa, uh, he, he stepped into a leadership role, and boy, he's been phenomenal to watch. He's been a great addition for the New York Rangers. So they score a lot of goals. They are that high octane. They want to take chances. They want to guess to the middle. And so for the St. Louis Blues, um, as Joe said, I mean, it's perfect scouting report. Whenever you play a team like that, for a St. Louis Blues, what do you have to do? You got to be physical and you got to get in their way. You got to slow them down. Just your body positioning alone has to slow them down. The Blues have been great at it throughout home ice and especially in this last stretch of the last two games here at Enterprise Center. But not having three guys below the offensive goal line, to me, that just shoots yourself in the foot because that leads to odd man rushes. That's something the Blues have done a great job of. You look at the San Jose game, the Buffalo game, the last two games here on home ice, only two odd man rushes between those two games. And to me, that just leads to the fact that you have disciplined forwards who are high in the offensive zone, and you just have groups of guys that commit themselves to defense. When you play that way, you will be physical. You will get in the way of the New York Rangers tomorrow night, and that's got to be as apparent as ever as you've come in here and you face this New York team that is, uh, as you mentioned, young, the youngest team in the National Hockey League right now. I'll tie in a little what's up with that with this, Joe, with the Rangers matchup. How about this? Tony D'Angelo, their, their young defenseman. Great game last night. He had a hat trick and two assists, and that was in the second period. <laughs> I know. So in two periods, 
this dude had a hat trick and five total points. Jeez. Like, that's the type of team you're dealing with right now. And look, Artemi Panarin is a guy who's on pace again for 40 goals in the season, and that's on a new team, which, Joe, you can attest to this. That's not an easy thing to do, to go to a new team and start producing that fast. You usually see a dip-off. I mean, look at O'Reilly last year. Like, he scored, but you're like, okay, well, is this really the guy? Pat Maroon, what's going on here? You start to really pick up the pace as you move along in the season. That's not easy to just jump in and start scoring goals. Well, and that's why I asked Joe if he was surprised by how quickly he's adjusted and made such an impact in New York. I mean, it's kind of like Ryan O'Reilly, but it's a lot more magnified. Right. I mean, he was the number one UFA last summer, and he goes to New York. I mean, he didn't go to Arizona. He didn't right. go to Fort Lauderdale. I mean, he's going to a high market, uh, high expectations. He's getting paid over $11 million, and he's now the go-to guy in the Big Apple. I mean, talk about pressure. Uh, but he has not felt it. I mean, Joe Micheletti talked about Artemi Panarin. I've heard of this from players who have played alongside him. He's just a kind of goofy, happy-go-lucky guy. He doesn't uh, look too deeply into anything. He kind of lets things fluff off. If he has a bad game, he sweeps it on the rug, and he just keeps moving forward. I think that's a big part of his personality is, is why he's been so successful in New York. I don't know what the goaltending matchup will be. I would imagine Bennington against uh, Georgiev because he's been their guy but if you get a matchup of Bennington against Lundquist, I mean, just think about that. A guy who dominated the NHL for so long and, of course, never really got to that point of winning a Stanley Cup was close, but never essentially won it. And then you got a rookie who has dominated his first year in the league, wins a Stanley Cup, and looks like the guy that could be the face of the NHL in terms of goalies moving forward. Like, just think of that parallel in that universe where you're playing two guys against each other that are at different ends of the spectrum in the NHL. Well, and yeah, with uh, Henrik Sundqvist at the age of 37, uh, you know, this is a goaltender that Jordan Bennington's probably watched very closely growing yeah. up and has probably mimicked a lot of his game after Henrik Lundqvist. So it's always fun to see uh, that side of the game, you know, when when young players like Robert Thomas go up against a Joe Thornton, uh, you know, when he busted into the league, Robert Thomas wasn't even born yet. I mean, those right. stories are so great, and it could be fun. I don't expect to see Henrik Lundqvist in tomorrow night, mm-hmm. but if we did, it certainly would be a, a great story. But uh, you know what? You gotta you gotta give a lot of props to New York. You know, David Quinn has done a terrific job over there coming in from college hockey. He's made an impact there. People love him. Joe McAlletti was talking about how much people love him. The players love playing for him. There's something going. There's something brewing in New York right. Now that's what makes these these UFAs very intriguing as far as what the general manager for New York Rangers is going to do moving forward around the deadline, especially with players like Chris Kreider. And I think that's good for hockey when you have a team with with such high status as the New York Rangers or the Edmonton Oilers, the Montreal Canadiens. You want those teams to be competitive because that's the that's the market that people are mm-hmm. watching those Bingo, games. Yeah. And when you have those games going against each other in competitive games, it makes hockey that much more intriguing. If that's even possible. If Alex. that's even possible. <laughs> Joe Vitale, it is always a pleasure, buddy. I got I must say I liked the Vegas show better because we were in Vegas, but this one's much more fun when we have it in studio. I like this one better because it's more intimate. It's just you and me. Just Alex. you and I. We're just talking hockey, man. Just crushing I it. I feel like I'm on your couch right now. We're just watching <laughs> hockey and talking talking about blues. Well, and we didn't talk Star Wars, or at least that much. Thank goodness. I, so, I am Star Wars out. That well, last night in at Enterprise Center took a lot out of me. When you put eight masks on in about an eight minute <laughs> time frame. Yeah, that would take a lot out of anybody. I think Kerber has a problem. <laughs> I think he has a major problem. That's Joe Vitale. I'm Alex Ferrario. Big thank you to Dan Betlock, and that is going to wrap it up for this week in hockey. We'll be back with you next week talking two hours of Blues and NHL hockey right here on your home for the St. Louis Blues 101 ESPN.